0: Hi, this is Natalie Wires with Digital River. Welcome to a special edition of Commerce Connect, an eight episode series that we're calling Commerce Passport. Throughout the next few months, we'll take you on a journey to boost your global e-commerce strategy and learn how to gain an onshore advantage. Listen in as some of the top experts in the field share their insights on what it takes to find global e-commerce success.
1: Hi, I'm Mike French, Vice President of Partnerships and Alliances at Digital River. This is a special edition of our Commerce Connect podcast in coordination with a series of virtual live events Digital River is producing to bring you the best in e-commerce thought leadership. Today, we're kicking off our Commerce Passport series to give you a deep dive into what it takes to expand your e-commerce business globally. We'll be diving into some great topics with leading industry experts over the next few months and to see more and to see our full Commerce Passport schedule Visit us at DigitalRiver.com Passport. So I'm excited to introduce the group I have joining me today. Uh, James Sudworth, head of digital at egress software technologies. James has had many roles in e-commerce and is currently supporting egress as they grow uh, into new markets and continually developing uh, their digital strategy. Also joining us is Adam Coyle, CEO of Digital River. Uh, He's a 25-year veteran of the fintech space uh, and has a great payments background. Uh, And Paul DeForno, Managing Director of our Commerce Practice at uh, Deloitte Digital. Uh, Paul's a well-known speaker. He's got more than 25 years of experience in strategy and technology, uh, including digital transformation and commerce for companies worldwide. So with that said, uh, let's go ahead and get started. And I think where I'd like to start picking up from our commerce passport uh, initial meeting is to get a bit into entering some new specific markets. Uh, We didn't have a chance to get to some questions that came up and and really come up frequently, which is, you know, hey, I'm in the U.S. and I want to go into Latin as an example. Um, And let's use that one because it is one that does come up. We got a specific question on. Um, And Adam, maybe you could start, what are some of the specific challenges as we think about entering a market like LATAM?
0: You know, some of the challenges, you know, Mike, of of going into LATAM, obviously, um, a lot of them uh, revolve around um, some of the cultural and um, I I think commerce differences of operating in uh, uh, South and Central America. Uh, Obviously, um, there are different types of payments that predominate in South and Central America, which is something a lot of people have to consider. Also, uh, tax regimes in South and Central America are very different than I think what we're typically accustomed to in the United States or even in, even in Europe. Um, the taxing uh, regime in, in South America um, looks different, very different to us than uh, it does in a lot of other countries. Um, those are some of the complexities. Obviously, there's also distribution and logistics complexities. Um, in, um, you know, emerging economies where um, the distribution of logistics um, uh, reach uh, and, uh, um, and, and, and process can operate very, very differently than what uh, a U.S. or a European company might be used to. So all of those things, I think, are things people have to consider as they look at moving into um, Latin, uh, Latin America. Um, you know, at digital river, I can say we're very bullish on Latin America. Um, one of the things we're doing this year actually is, um, expanding our reach into Mexico. Um, and, um, that has been a focus country because the, uh, e-commerce in Mexico is just exploding both in a B to C context and in a B to B context where increasingly, um, businesses are looking to shop online for, um, uh, products and services for their, for their employees and their
1: customers. Great. Right, thanks, and and Paul, maybe you could comment on some of those things. You know, I I, I imagine you know Boyd has, has probably done a lot to help uh, help folks with a real Pan American strategy, um, moving into those new markets. Maybe you could could take a couple of Adam's points a little bit further. We talk about things like uh, fulfillment and logistics. What do companies have to think about there? You know, what do those challenges amount to?
2: Well, it also, it gets into, you know, the different countries have very different types of retail distribution. So if you think about uh, people wanting to sell, there's way more like bodegas that are out there that sell to little marketplaces. And so when you're thinking about how to sell and and get your, you know, if you're a CPG vendor and you want to get out and sell, it's one thing to go sell to the Walmarts, right? That's easy. Send your EDI transaction, boom, you're done. Well, how do you influence those 20,000 bodegas that are actually a very large percentage of retail sell? Well, you have to look at different uh, schemes and looking at, and and that's actually a, a, a very big growth area for B2B commerce because B2B commerce really helps for smaller buyers that you know, don't have the setup to do these massive buys and you have these little cells in that. And so that's one, one definitely
1: a big difference, especially, especially in the Latin American market. Yeah. Interesting. interesting. Paul, thank you. And we've had, uh, we've had some conversations with, with some of our partners who have talked about a similar kind of scenario in Southeast Asia, where, you know, you deal with a very large number of, of smaller retailers or, or even convenience stores. Uh, that act as uh, as a really important retail distribution arm in those markets. So it certainly represents the challenge of you know, uh, as you said, you may in the past do a few transactions, very large transactions with large retailers. Now you're doing a, a large number of smaller value transactions, um, and you've got that logistics problem to uh, to solve along with it. Um, and you know maybe we could take that uh, uh, with a, with a question, James. I think you're well suited to answer. Um, A lot of folks uh, outside of the United States look at the U.S. and say, wow, that's the market I want to get into, right? Um, Folks who have maybe grown up in in, uh, Europe or the EU, uh, and also, um, you know, whether they be based in in Japan or or greater APAC. Uh, What are some of the implications for entering the U.S. market uh, that companies maybe don't think about?
3: I think that there's certainly the, you know, the, the obvious in terms of e-commerce, the complexities that you get from a, a very large country, uh, you know, a di- very different regulatory uh, setup, and obviously different tax positions in, in, in different states as well. So the complexities that you get are, are, are very complex. Um, in the UK, we're a, we're a company that's headquartered in the UK. Our finance team has been able to handle our business growth as we've expanded gradually uh, with our UK-based finance team. Um, but then obviously the challenge is as a business expanding into the U.S. I mean, are we supposed to then build another U.S. Uh, finance team to be able to handle our, our e-commerce business as it grows there, for example? So that's really where we're working with Digital River uh, to be able to handle that, that scenario um, at the moment. So I think that, that's definitely the, 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 the first thing that, that we've got to get to. But I think the other complexity is that, you know, I uh, touched on this a little bit in, in our, uh, our webinar earlier, that ultimately you don't have the speed or you don't have the time to... Um, basically make some mistakes I guess as you may have done in your own your own country as you've grown and what I will say is that as you grow your margin for error gets smaller Um, and and that's where you've got to be smarter you've got to be much more efficient and and I think that's what the challenge comes is that you know your investors will say right how's it going in in the US or how's it going in Brazil how's it going in APAC Uh, you have that board meeting you can you can survive the first board meeting, the next one, the next one, by the time you get to a year, you need to start b- to be showing results. And, and, and that obviously means that you've got to be much more efficient and much more focused around, around that. So you know, I touched on it before and I, I absolutely think it's right that you've got to focus on what you're good at, which is your product, your offering, whatever it is, uh, and allow your partners to help you grow uh, with that.
1: Uh, great, thanks James. Um, you know, you, you made a comment about the, the importance and the priority of e-commerce. Uh, really, uh, unlike it maybe never ever did in the past, coming down as as a directive from the board, right? Go out and create and grow this new revenue stream. Um, And a lot of times that expectation comes with, hey, uh, not only go out and do it and grow it, but do it now, do it fast, (laughs) you know, launch immediately. Um, And, you know, one of the challenges I think business managers have is, is figuring out, you know, what tools and capabilities they need to have in place uh, to do that, to be able to launch successfully. And you know in addition to uh, you know, e-commerce software itself or an e-commerce platform, you know, there are other things that, that come into play. Um, and, and Paul, you know the work Deloitte does uh, it frequently involves taking these different tools and technologies and bringing them to bear uh, to solve for some of these complex problems and do it quickly. You know if you were advising our audience what are the the two or three other kind of technologies or important tools that that someone should really have in place and have a good handle on as they think about deploying e-commerce into a new market? Yeah,
2: so many times, it's a great question. like so many times when people think about commerce, they think about the cart, right? Like how do I buy stuff? But really when you start to think about all the other technologies to really make a successful customer experience, you have to have a great front end you know, a content management uh, software or, you know, an integrated commerce platform that has a great front end or great design on that front end. And so there's a lot of different technologies that help drive that. But then also, do you have great content? So do you have great product information? So you get into, do you have a good product information management system that's keeping like the data up to speed? So if you only have like, uh, two-word description and a one-line detailed description, but no pictures, no videos. It's going to be much harder to sell. It's getting much more competitive, right? And so having that rich content, but then also as you get into, okay, great. I put in an order. You have great order management. To how do you send it and and balance going straight off and have visibility into your uh, uh inventory, etc. So. There's lots of technologies and integrations all around those. Like I I saw a study here recently on a typical commerce page. There may be somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 different integrations that are, uh, or APIs that are integrated to be a part of. So it's a very, it's kind of in the midst and touches a lot of different things. And so while in some ways it seems easy and just the cart, but really, it's at the core of a whole business process. And for you to do it well, you not only have to bring all of those technologies together, but really have the functional expertise to help do that change management uh, to be successful.
0: Yeah, I want to. I'd, I'd like to follow up on that, Mike, because I think uh, that I think you're spot on, Paul. And I think you really um, kind of follow up or echo something that James had shared. I think in in, a, in, in the previous um, um, podcast which is that um, the real key for uh, the, the, that we see in best-in-class global expansion strategies is this concept of owning the customer and the customer experience. And you're right, it's complicated. And, um, you know, to basically um, the, 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 the six most successful companies we have seen, the people who are truly best-in-class are the ones that take a very sort of um, measured approach rather than just saying, hey, I'm going to fling my products out there into the global market and, you know, I don't really care how good it is, but, you know, maybe I'll get some sales. But the, 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 the companies that come with a very measured approach and say, no, I want to go after these markets first and then these markets and these markets. And this is how I'm going to serve this market. This is how I'm going to serve this market. This is how I'm going to serve this other market. They can be different approaches, um, but they all center around owning that consumer and that consumer experience. And that's really where we see best in class companies really differentiating themselves as they go to market in the global marketplace is focusing on that customer and that customer experience maybe not saying i'm going to fly far flung the whole world just yet but um, you know really focusing on the on the markets that they can control and where they can control that experience the best
3: james i think you were going to jump in there too. yeah yeah i mean don't you agree adam that it's it's really based on on how you're storing that customer data though as well right yeah. so that customer record that i touched on earlier because you know we we can talk about those customer experiences but if it's guesswork and guesswork here and guesswork there it, it doesn't really work and i think that's where i think that you know that the investment up top before you've gone too far down the road over here it, it, so so vital and i think we touched on the decision for egress to to go into, you know, a dual partnership with uh, Salesforce, B2B, Commerce Cloud, uh, and Digital River for um, all of our, our processing behind that system. And really, that's a lot of that decision was based on that concept, right? Not, not necessarily using the full stack offering of Digital River, not necessarily using global commerce, for example, creating another database where we've already, to be frank, got a product database where where that's a little bit separate. And then we've got our customer record, uh, which is within within Salesforce. And what the project, our e-commerce project is allowing us to do is to basically have that central record uh, within Salesforce, and using Digital River for the expertise, everything that you bring in terms of processing transactions globally, but keeping that centrally. And, and also then as part of our project, we're integrating our product. So what we're going to have at the end of the completion of the project is that central record. And I think that is the vital piece is that you've got a system where you're all based on the same starting point and then you're making decisions from that.
0: Yeah, spot on. I think you know, I said the, the key to controlling that customer experience really starts with controlling that customer data. And yeah. having it in a concise, consolidated place where you can make you know actionable decisions about um, how how you're going to approach a particular market, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. that's that's great. Um, you know, and, and coming back to the question around entering the new market and when the board asks you to turn it around in a few weeks and launch, uh, you know, I think what I heard across the group was, you know, first off, it's it's immensely important to understand who your customer is and what that customer needs, and then beyond that things go a lot further than just your shopping cart. You have to think about tools that will help you drive experience, maybe a digital experience platform or a CMS solution. You have to think about ways that you're gonna manage your product information and merchandise it, and that might be leveraging a commerce platforms catalog, but it might be a more specialized tool like a product information management tool. Uh, And then as you got to Paul around order management, which also becomes an important aspect of the customer experience. Hey, I submitted it, where, what's the status of my order? Where does it sit? Or I need to make a change to it. Or you know I wanna understand where it is from a shipping and delivery standpoint. So I think it's a really key point the audience can take away. That when you think about deploying commerce, you really have to think about your customer and you really have to think about the other tools that ought to be in place if you wanna deliver a best in class solution. So let's go ahead and take this, uh, these points around technology another step further. You know, it's it's a huge trend right now. Uh, you hear about it everywhere. APIs, uh, headless. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Paul, a given solution might have you know uh, up to 50 different integrations in it. You know, maybe leveraging an API for a single small specific service, uh, or things like this. You know, headless commerce overall. Um, what what is this trend? What what does this really mean for a customer that's thinking about you know, hey, I'm I'm in the US, I want to sell in Europe, there's this headless thing, do I need to think about it? You know, why, why wouldn't I just go and get something that, that baked that into the other stuff I need? And, and Paul, maybe you could start with
2: that. Sure, um, and just to give a little background. So I've been involved in doing e-commerce for the past 20 years specifically with every vendor you can imagine from IBM, Oracle, SAP, Salesforce, and and so a lot of times lately what you're hearing a lot on this headless commerce and API, you know, sometimes that gets overplayed as, you know, kind of buzz and kind of new entrants trying to make a differentiation, right? And so just like anything, there's good tools. You really want to focus on outcomes and what kind of platforms, and it's also very different when you're speaking about B2C and B2B. So let, let me just, since we haven't chatted about B uh, 2 B2B commerce, let me just talk a little bit about this. And it was something I think James talked a little bit about. Um, when you look at like a technology like Salesforce, where they combine the CRM and the commerce very closely together. When you look at the marketplace right now, where um, this COVID place where we can't interact, like think of so many of these B2B commerce places where they're gone to sell because, hey, they took the guy out for lunch, they took him out golfing, and they had that personal touch, but they can't do that anymore. And so having an integrated platform like Salesforce is so much powerful because it, it allows your customers to you know do the quick reorders. Because on the studies that we found on the B2B commerce, really there's three things that people care the most about, right? Order status, right? Quick reorder and product information. And so when we end up having these conversations so much about on the B2B commerce is the sales guys are totally scared of e-commerce coming and stealing their bonus. And so what we try to help them change is the way that, Hey, e-commerce is going to take away the crap of your work, right? They're going to follow up and do the, the administrative stuff. And Oh, by the way, we tell our clients to still give them, still give them uh, bonuses based on, and, and commission based on those sales, but focus on what's important on the bigger deals on more value added. So you can spend more time adding value to the customers than just being an order taker. And so, um, just, the, you know, think about a little bit more about the B2B commerce, having one integrated platform, like a Salesforce, where you can really tie that relationship that I've already started with on the CRM and made it easy to see my order history and reorder makes it much more easily to adapt in the B2B
3: world. Well, Paul, it's almost like you've heard my meetings and my conversation. I literally have had that conversation yeah. with our sales team. And what's happening to, so we've got a, a, a great guy on the team called Divine. What's happening to Divine's job? What's Divine going to do? He's going to sell bigger deals. He's going to close deals. He's not going to focus on the 90 pound, $100 deals. Uh, and, and really what my proposition to, to my management team is that I'm going to automate the low end of the deal and, and take away the need for a, a, a physical seller uh, to touch a smaller deal so that they can go and go after those bigger deals and really it works symbiotically. And the power that we get with Salesforce and you know, if we'd gone with the, sales, the full stack offering of Digital River, I would have become the e-commerce owner in the company. They would have been my transactions and I would have had to construct a team to manage that process and all of this stuff. Now what we've got is that all of that executed in Salesforce. And actually what I can do is just help that along. But if somebody's account comes and makes a purchase, they do get bonus and they do get paid on that, for example. And it really is, it's kind of a story of digital transformation. It's such a buzzword in what we do, but that is what digital transformation is. It's using technology to allow your offline processes to work much more smoothly. So I'm more of a shepherd than someone who owns a, a kingdom of e-commerce in that sense. And I, you know, what you said, Paul, is absolutely spot on. Yeah, it's really um,
0: interesting. I mean, it is, it gets back to that, you know, uh, understanding how does your customer want to buy and what, you know, how, how, do you, how, do you, how do you put the customer at the center of it? I mean, it, you know, for, for those low-value transactions, the, the e-commerce channel is probably a better experience for your customers as well. Um, and, you know, it's not only good for your sales force, but it's good for those customers. And, and I, you know, one of the things that we realized, too, is because that, That customer repository, I think, you know, or that data repository, James, that you kind of referred to, but that customer experience is so critical now in e-commerce. It's actually one of the reasons Digital River changed its entire business model is because we saw these giant corporations like Salesforce and things that were doing a better job of the customer experience than we could ever hope to do. And there were giants competing in this field. And we said, wait a second, we need to get out of that business and figure out how we can facilitate all of the back office infrastructure that we're really good at in those other ecosystems. And that's really why we, why we embarked on the strategy of saying, how do I plug into those guys rather than trying to compete with them with a full stack offering? So you're really resonating on a lot of what we see is kind of the the the, the, the transformation we've gone through as well, just to say, how do we uh, play in a market where clients are increasingly wanting best in class? And, uh, and honestly, just building on what you said, Adam, like. You know, you
2: focusing on that payment, that's where most of the companies do crap at. Yeah. <laughs> so actually that's a great example where one plus one actually equals three, because I think you focusing on that takes, you know, back to what James said, people focus on what's important, yeah. what's core on what they're doing yeah. and stay away from the, you know, the local onshoring, right? Like that you
3: guys do. Yeah. I wrote this down. I think it's going to be the title of my book, but you know, Excel at what only you can do and leverage, leverage then partnerships to accelerate the other stuff. You'll never, no company, nobody listening to this is really going to be, you know, if you're a software company, you're never going to be able to do the finance piece as well as digital river, right. And focus on your product offering, go work on your product roadmap, go work on your positioning, your marketing. And, and really only you can do that. You know, you can't necessarily get an agency to do that. And I think that's really the key to growing fast is that not trying to do everything yourself, not trying to boil the ocean. Really focus on your competent, your core competence, and then, and then allow you know, the, your partners, partners to help you deliver against that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really good point, James. Uh, I, I think you said it really well. When you think about things like your products and your merchandising and your experience, they're really the things that only you can do when you're a brand. And when you think about things like wiring together the technologies that are involved, and taking advantage of others who are who are who are great at services like handling for finance or merchant or what have you, uh, it makes really good sense to take advantage of it. I'll, I'll turn the conversation, and it's great. It's great to run down this B two B path. You know, I, I want to turn the conversation a bit uh, back to the question around technology because, you know, the things that we hear about B two B, and and you might be able to build on this a bit, James and and Paul, you know you've got different kinds of users doing the buying, right? And Mm -hmm. and buying, you know, different kinds of orders, right? Uh, You know, I'm not just taking an an off the shelf product. I might be buying something that I've got to configure options for. Uh, I might be doing reorders of things that are consumables. I might need to provision licensing for a a service that I'm consuming on kind of an enterprise basis. Um, What are some of the real differences um, to think about, you know, with the technology and with the ordering that that, that it makes possible. You know, are there other tools or other other angles that need to be thought about that go beyond, you know, uh, your standard kind of shopping? cart. Uh, and Paul yeah. could start us there. Sure. So I think first
2: thing, um, you really have to think about the different archetype personas that you're dealing with. So I always like to... D- Uh, remind people especially in b2b commerce and industrial is imagine you're you're building your commerce for the guy in the hard hat in a truck right like how do you make it easy for them to do hey i'm going out to a site and i need to do a real instant reorder or i need supplies etc and so you start to think of very different personas where on the other side then you have the purchasing agent what they that they sit in front of their desk, they make you know a few orders. It's very, hey, it's going to be. I have a, a plan buy, it's purchasing at certain times, and they go back and forth. So, it's, you have a lot of wide area types of personas that you get in there, and even to the uh, different types of roles, such as the, the different products that you just kind of mentioned, is you might get into um, what using tools such as CPQ. So being able to configure a very detailed product. So it's not just a simple product reorder, but it's going through, well, you have to configure make some changes and get to the end and really configure and get a whole quote and get an order right through. So many times people like to just say, oh, all you have to do for B2B commerce is do a great user experience and make it B2C-ish like, but that's very simplistic. That's just the veneer. And really you have to put yourself into the roles of the different personas for the type of B2B client you have.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and hey, James, let me just take that one to you because I've, I've got to think you've had to think about and, and solve this problem, right? Uh, with the different kind of buyers that you guys might have. You talked a little bit already about kind of the online versus the offline buy and how you think about segmenting water value differently. Um, you know, what what plays in there? It, it seems like we keep coming back to this. You know, get the experience right for the customer. Uh, could you elaborate on Paul's points a little bit?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's complex, right? Is the is the short version? Um, you know, I think, and Paul, you've been in this for a, this game a lot longer than I have, right? But but certainly for the decade that that I've been here, I've been hearing about the consumerization of B two B from everyone. Everyone talks, ah, oh, B two B is like just like consumer now, isn't it? You just give them a B two C experience and they're fine. They'll all buy. Um, and it's, it's not like that. I mean, it's a bit like that, but I think now we're going into the next phase of it, which is saying, oh, it's quite like the consumer experience, but there are certain other things that we need to provide. And the decision making process is much more complex. You know, I, for my consumer purchase, I take my credit card out of my wallet. I maybe consult with uh, my partner, um, but I will make that purchase myself. Whereas within B2B, you've got lots of decision making, steps that you have to go through, even to get a credit card out in a company can be difficult. That's on the larger end. On the smaller end, yeah, of course, it's much more like a consumer business. So actually, understanding who you're talking to in the first place is that vital. And yeah. I uh, tend to build those decisions and you know what we're looking at for example is is you know a a customer portal for example that you can log in that's both pre and post sale so pre-sales you've got all of your rfp documentation and process around that your compliance and legal uh, documents and managing that well using tools like docusign whatever it is to to manage that process smoothly uh you when you will start in you know before you close the deal right so you know having that experience built up but then also your post-sale experience to then build that out um, through your customer success teams into then the renewal conversation as well. So there you've got a, a, you know, a digital platform, which is also, uh, you know, very much related to your CRM. And, you know, it goes back to this point of having one system where you can track all of this is is absolutely vital. So in addition to what, what Paul's talking about CPQ, for example, I think, you know, how you actually manage your non-transactional parts of your, of your, you know, the, the life cycle of your relationship with one of your customers is, is really vital within that. And I think, you know, to, to the point why the CRM becomes vital, because you can understand what roles in a company uh, somebody somebody holds and then, you know, how, who you're talking to. You can build your marketing automation programs around that, whether it is your customer success programs, whether it is your billing programs, you know, these kind of things. And I think that, yeah it's really vital to be able to build that on, on top of, um, you know, your, your CRM.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you talk about uh, you know trying to take a C like a, a B2C platform and, and extrapolate it into the, the B2B world. I'll give you a small example of a of a simple B2B use case where a client um or a a colleague was was using the B2C platform and they got six months into utilizing it and realized that um um they were they were their 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 payments looked really weird and the charges look really weird. Well, they didn't realize that um, that the B two C provider was charging sales tax on all the transactions, and these were wholesale transactions. There was no tax that was payable, so they don't understand why they weren't getting the sales, and their pricing looked really high. And it was just simply because you were dealing with a vendor who really didn't understand nuances of B two B. But you know, even you talk about you know as we talked before about the nuances of moving um, globally um, with you know global expansion in a B two C context. that They're almost even more complicated when you move into B2B, because taxing regimes become even more complicated. Payment regimes become more complicated. You move to things like purchase orders and lines of credit and um, things that don't exist outside of you know Visa and MasterCard. And uh, trying to kind of keep up with that nuance and the subtlety of those things uh, and truly provide that local experience is a real challenge for anybody who wants to move into the international um, distribution market.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks a lot, Adam. Uh, so, uh, gentlemen, I really appreciate the time today. You know, we we talked about some challenges of entering specific new markets like LATAM or uh, entering the U.S. Say if you're in Europe or based in APAC, and covered some great topics there. Talked about the other tools that you know uh, our audience members should really think about having in place as it relates to e-commerce, things like order management or a digital experience platform, product information management having those ducks in a row as you're going about entering uh, the new market. And, you know, it seems like over and over again, you know, even as we got into talking about B2B, uh, we keep coming back to the importance and the primacy of the customer experience. So uh, before we wrap up again, I'd, I'd like to give each of you a chance to, to just uh, leave off some parting thoughts for those who have joined us today. If there's, if there's just one thing you'd have them really think about and consider when they go to enter a new market. Uh, what is that one thing? And uh, Adam, let's start with you.
0: Yeah, I would you know, reiterate the idea that I think you have to think about um, um, you know, what do you want to own and what do, you do, or, and what do you not need to do yourself? I mean, really to, to echo what James said, which is do the thing you're really good at and um, don't worry about some of the other stuff. Um, I think, you know, for most businesses, as they look to enter new markets, the the thing that's got to be primary is own that customer relationship, own that customer experience and that customer data. And uh, as long as you've got that, um, you can think about using partners and experts to provide the other services you need. But I think that, like you said, Mike, the customer has got to be at the core of
3: everything you do.
1: Great. Thanks, Adam. And James, your parting thought?
3: Well, Adam's stolen my parting thought, hasn't <laughs> <laughs> he? <laughs> um, I think, you know, to, to add another thing then, I, what, what I would say is, is keep it simple. Um, and, and that means going as out of the box as you can, as possible. I'm not saying go out of the box, but go as out of the box as you can with your, your systems your, and your implementations. Ship it, optimize it repeat you know and don't try and over-engineer things to start obviously speed to market and and speed to growth is one of the always the the, the pressures that we get as we're expanding Uh, and and keeping it simple in that sense uh, is vital and i guess one thing beyond that as well is hiring people who've done it before is is absolutely vital because they can help you make mistakes that you might not have known about so that's the one and a half things great
1: thanks james and uh, paul why, why don't you bring us home on the one key takeaway our audience should have Yeah,
2: so I think most importantly is always put the customer first. And so if you're going into a new market, make sure you understand them. Do your research. Listen to them. Listen to your local partners. Listen to and get that input in because you might think you know them, but you may not really know them. So do the extra up front because it'll save you money down the road.
1: Uh, Adam? James, Paul, uh, great discussion. Thank you for joining me today. And audience, uh, thank you for joining us as well. Our next live virtual event is coming up on May 21st, so look out for it. Uh, We're gonna be kicking off a series on why a direct-to-consumer channel is the best defense against retail disruption. Uh, Obviously, something that's uh, front and center for a lot of brands today. Uh, For more details uh, and to sign up for that, visit us at digitalriver.com slash opportunity. And again, for details on the next episode in Commerce Passport series, uh, we're going to talk about attracting, converting, and keeping more customers. And you'll see more information about that at digitalriver.com slash passport. Thanks, panel. Thanks, everybody.
0: You've been listening to a special edition of Commerce Connect presented by Digital River, part of a series of live virtual events and podcasts designed to help you grow your global e-commerce business. Find out how you can attend a live virtual commerce passport event at digitalriver.com passport.